a passage that's that's very well known. Ephesians six. Ephesians six, and I'll I'll start reading in verse ten. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have allowed us to meet once again, and we are so thankful that you are present with us. We declare that we would not be here if it were, if it were not you uh, present in our lives and making it possible to meet. We thank you for, for Jesus and for the fact that he died for us. We are standing right now and we are able to look in your word because we believe that you sent him to come and live a perfect life and then die and then be raised again the third day. We believe that he died for us and we believe that he took away our sin. And we believe that he won a victory that's still standing today. Please help us not to forget that. In our battles, in our storms, may you help us to stand in his name. Because it's in his name that we pray even this morning. Amen. Please be seated. Before I, I go into the text, and please keep your Bibles handy because we'll go through each verse. I would like to read something which is, is just a, uh, an adaptation of another passage in the Bible. And I'm sure you, you're, uh, you'll recognize it as I read it. Uh, and hopefully we'll, it will help us as we look in this passage this morning. Should I go? He asked them. Yes, yes, go, they said, like in a unison choir. You will take them. But his friend asked him, Is there anyone else that you could ask for guidance on this matter? He said, Yes, but that guy is always so negative. Well, his friend said and insisted, just go ahead and ask him again. So the negativist guy was brought to the council. Should I go? He asked him. Don't go. You will die, 
said this last unwanted advisor. See, I told you this guy is a negativist. So he didn't listen. He went to battle, but not wearing his normal outfit. Then an arrow was shot randomly, and it got him. It got him right in between the scale armor and the breastplate. Does it sound familiar at all? If you want to read the actual passage, you will find it in 1 Kings 22 and read about how King Ahaz is asked to go in a battle uh, to join another king and he asks all his wise men, should I go to battle? And all his wise men tell him, yes, go ahead, you'll win this battle. And then he's asking this negativist guy who was a prophet of God, Micah, should I go? And Micah tells him the truth. He says, don't go, you will die. And Ahaz goes. He listens to the uh, majority of his uh, wise men. And he dies, shot by a randomly shot arrow. How ironic is that? Now, I said that I hope this will give us or help us in as we look at this passage. King Ahaz was wondering whether to go to a battle or not, right? That's very different than what we are or where we are today. Because my firm belief is that as believers, as Christ followers, we are already in a battle. Do you agree? We live a battle every single day. So, I will basically try and point out two things in the text that I read. First of all, we'll see that we stand in this battle that we are in because of Jesus Christ already winning or having won the battle. So we stand because Jesus Christ has already won the battle. And then the second thing will be we stand, as Paul teaches us over here, we stand when we put on the whole armor of God. And we read about how the, the armor of God looks like in Paul's imagery. So first of all, we stand because Jesus Christ has already won. If you are to read the whole letter to the Ephesians, you will see how Paul goes in in different places of a Christian's life. You read about family, you read about how you ought to live your life as an individual, and you look at this image of a, a perfect Christian, in a way. How you and I ought to live our lives every single day, controlled, basically, by the Holy Spirit. And then, as I said, we live in a battle every single day, so at the end of Ephesians, Paul touches this aspect of life, a battle, and how we ought to uh, live our lives wearing the whole armor of God. So I'll go verse by verse next. In verse 10 he says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And I'm, I'm uh, asking myself, and I'm asking you this morning, who gives us this strength? Who, give us, who gives us strength in the battle that we are in? Why are we strong? Or why can we be sure that we are strong? And the answer is simple. It's Jesus. Paul says, in the strength of his might. 
Whose might? The Lord. In Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me, through him who strengthens me. And then in 2 Timothy 2.1, Paul says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's Christ who is the main reason that we are strong today. I always want to make sure and, 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 and share this uh, example. When I was young, and we had a literature, Romanian literature professor ask us in, in school, did you read the, that book? We would joke around and say, I did not read the book, but I, I've seen the movie, I've watched the movie. <laughs> and growing up with that thought in my mind, I always thought that when I will be an adult, which I am, and I'll be asking my, my children or other children, have you watched the movie? So not even read the book. They would probably say, no, but I've watched the trailer <laughs> of the movie. Well, if I were to look at the life of a Christian and then consider the Bible as God's word, if I were to share just a, a short sentence to describe all of it, so not even the trailer, right? One sentence. It's as easy as this. Christ wins the end. It's that simple. We tend to forget that and choose to go in a spiral when it's as simple as, as you probably don't remember, but I, I do remember. Last time I, I talked about Peter and looking at Jesus as he was walking on water. We tend to look at the waves and go around and not take the easiest and the shortest way. Christ wins the end. That's probably one of the shortest movies that would be made, if ever. But how did Jesus win? How did he win? Well, we know, and I'll go through a few verses, we know that he won because he died, but then he rose again. He defeated death and sin along with that. Romans 5, in Romans 5 we're told that he conquered sin and death. In 1 Corinthians 5, we see that Paul tells us that God has given us victory in Jesus Christ. And then Hebrews 2, 14 says that he destroyed the devil. By dying and rising again, he destroyed the devil. So we are strong and we have this strength within us because of him and because of what he did for us. Verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. And if you look in the original and what that actual word means, to put on, when, when Paul says that, he means put on and leave on. When you think about an armor, when you think about Sunday morning coming to church, you put on some clothes and then maybe you won't wear them till next Sunday or till a future event. Well, here, Paul, when he's talking about putting on the whole armor of God, he means put it on and leave it on. Why? It's verse 11. He says, you need it on to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, to be able to stand and hold your position in the battle that you're in. 
he says in verse 11 that you may be able to stand. And then verse 13, to withstand in the evil day, or to stand firm. And verse 14, stand therefore. And reading all that stand, 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 I'm like, Paul, don't you like people that are sitting? You keep mentioning stand, stand, stand. I think he really wants us to understand, as we're reading, that we have to be firm in our position. Where we are in Christ has to be a firm, understood position. Last year, I remember when when COVID was starting to become the new normal, uh, which it was called called by then, back then. I heard this uh, phrase that it didn't make sense in my head because we we never had that back home in Romania. But as I, I heard more about it and listened to news, I, I understood it, and I, I'd like to use it here as an example. Are you familiar with the term shelter in place? You've, you've heard it quite a bit over here. Well, think about our position and how we have to f- be firm in that position as believers in Christ. So we would be in place. You take the in place in shelter in place. That's what... We, we have to do as Christ followers. You take the shelter part out because we are in a battle and we are not secure in this battle. And we'll see how because Paul is actually telling us who we, whom we're fighting against. But just have that, that idea in mind. Shelter in place without the shelter, just in place. We have to stand where we are because we are already on the battlefront. So I have a a few questions or examples of when to stand. Is it when Satan wants us to distrust God? Stand. Satan encouraging disobedience? Stand. Planting confusion or falsehood in doctrines? Stand. Preventing the advance of service to God in ministry? Stand. Bringing division? I've heard about that so many times at crossings, meeting new pastors and churches. Stand, even in the midst of division. Living a hypocritical life? Putting on a face? Stand, even then. Serving God in the flesh? Expecting others, the church my community, my job, expecting others to serve me and my interests, stand. That's also an example of a battle. Paul says, stand against the schemes of the devil. Schemes. That's not a word that we use a lot, right? And we don't use it because it's probably used in certain circumstances. Well, here, when I read Schemes, I think of cleverness, creativity, if you want to. In other words, the devil is constantly trying to up his game in just trying to attack us and come up with new things that would hurt us while we stand firm in our position that, remember, has already been won by Jesus. We need to stand against him. What do these schemes look like? 
or what or who are we fighting against, Paul answers these questions in verse 12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Are we fighting against flesh and blood? No, that's exactly what Paul says that we're not doing. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. In 2 Corinthians 10, he says almost the same thing, maybe a bit more, uh, he, he covers more things. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So in a way, we are in a battle against the unseen. And then when Paul says in 2 Corinthians, what I just read, take every thought captive to obey Christ, that can mean that we actually fight against thoughts. Right? The, the, the evil one, we try and plant things in our mind. And even that is a battle. So we're looking at what Paul is talking about over here, and we understand that the devil will constantly bring things our way and will try to do new things every single moment in order to make us move from our position. Everything that we can think of, and even more than what we can think of, Satan will try and throw at us. And the list can be long and almost endless, but also short. I like short things, like I mentioned the, the description earlier of this movie that's not made yet. That list of what Satan is trying to do to us can be summed up in one word, three-letter word, sin. It's sin. He will throw sin and temptation towards sin every single second of our lives. Now, I would like to apply all of this to us. And I'll, please consider these questions and issues in your daily walk as a Christian. Do I, do you, see evidence of Christian warfare or a Christian battle in your own life? Is there a spiritual warfare being fought around you as an individual? Do I see it happening in Afghanistan right now? It's, some, it's taking place somewhere, but not right here. I see or I believe there's some spiritual warfare going on somewhere out there, somewhere around the world. And Afghanistan is a, is a really good example today, unfortunately. So in a way, far away from where I am, but not necessarily around me. So yeah, I, when, when I read the, the, the words of the Bible, there's a spiritual battle go, taking place. There's some battle somewhere, not where I am. What is it that gives me confidence? Generally, but also specifically, during the spiritual warfare. Am I more focused on, I've got this. I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm praying. Um, I'm really strong, or God is in control. 
in the midst of everything that's going on, I am strong not because of what I'm doing, but because of who God is and because of his promises toward me and toward all his followers. And then I'll go even more uh, personal on it. Is it only the big fights that we see in our lives that we consider spiritual warfare? And then we don't have kids, or many kids, that are school age in here. But I always say, is it just cheating on an exam that we see as a battle? Is it maybe for adults lying at work? Lying by actively lying or by omission, not telling the whole story, the whole truth? Is it just adultery that we see as spiritual warfare and Satan attacking us or others? What about that Sunday morning or every uh, any other day of the week when you're pretty late to get to work and then you reach that uh, road light and it's green and the person in, in front of you is still just sitting there even though it has been green for the, five, for the last five seconds. Can that be spiritual warfare? Or do we see only the big things as spiritual warfare? I think Satan will try even that. As you sit in your car waiting for the other person to move out of the way or just start at least, that can be a battle that I probably lose most of the time when I'm there. Remember, we stand not because of who we are or what we can do. We stand because Jesus Christ has already won that battle. That's the whole and only reason that we can stand. But then the second reason is we stand when we are putting on the whole armor of God. So we'll go through each part of this armor that Paul talks about. Before that, how do we stand firm? He says in verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. In verse 11 earlier, we read, Put on the whole armor of God. And here Paul says, Take up. He's saying the same thing. Put on and leave it on. Take up and leave it on. He's stressing. He wants us to really understand that we have to put it on and leave on the whole armor of God. He's, he's, he's very specific at, at, at that. The whole armor of God. Why? He says to withstand in the evil day. So my question is, what is the evil day? Right? What is the evil day? What is Paul uh, meaning over here? What, what does he want us to understand when we read that? For the believer, every single day is the evil day. And I honestly believe that it, we have seen evil days ever since Genesis 3.15, when the serpent lied to Eve and to Adam. Ever since Satan has meddled with, with God's creation, we have been living evil days. As a Christ follower, as a believer, I will constantly be attacked by the devil. And then I would pause and I would 
have everybody in the room ask themselves this question. How am I attacked? How am I attacked? Does Satan even bother with me around, I'm living on this earth? Does he even care that I live? Remember, the scripture tells us that God has known us even before we were born. Right? So God knew us before we ever existed. Well, after we got into uh, being, Satan knows about us. Does he bother? Does Does he care that we live on this earth? As things happen in my life or in my family's life, am I surprised when bad things happen? When, when I can clearly see that battle going on? When things don't line up or even settle, you look in some people's lives and you're like, how can they take all of that? And then when you think there's a lot to take in, something else happens. And there's a loss, or there's a disease, or, and it never slows down at least, if not stop altogether. We live in the evil day every single day. So let's stand. Let's stand and be firm in the position that, remember, God in Jesus Christ had already, has already won. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. And then here's Paul at it again, stand, stand, he doesn't like sitting. Having fastened on the belt of truth. Well, the whole example, or the the examples that Paul gives here of what goes into an armor of the soldier of God, he takes from the picture of a soldier, a Roman soldier back then. So when he's, he's talking about the belt of truth, by the belt part of that phrase, if you look at how a, a Roman soldier uh, was dressed back then, under, underneath the armor, he had a, uh, like a piece of cloth, almost like a nightgown, if I can call it that. And that was under every single part of the armor that we'll, we'll go through in the next few minutes. The thing about the belt was that when the Roman soldier had the belt on, that meant that he was ready to go. He was ready for battle. Other than that, he would not have his belt on. If we look in Exodus 12 we'll see that God commands Israel how to exit Egypt. If you remember, they celebrate their first Passover, and God tells uh, to his people through Moses, you shall eat it with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet. It's the same image. You should have your, your waist fastened and be ready to go. Because I, would, I will want you to go immediately when that happens. And the same idea in Luke 12, 35. We're, te- we're told to stay dressed for action as we're waiting for our master to return. We have to be ready to go. 
And Paul says here that we as Christians, as we put on the whole armor of God and we leave it there, we have to have this belt of truth that must be on, but it's not just any belt. It's the belt of truth. Why of truth? Because what the belt meant for the Roman soldier, as in ready to go and fully clothed, truth is to the believer, to us, to you and I. What is truth, if you think about it? The fight that we are part of as Christ followers today is truthful. We do what we do as Christ followers because we believe that God never lies. And what he told us in his word is true. So we have, we have to have that around us at all times. And even before all the other things that are part of the armor. The fight that we are in is truthful without any hypocrisy. The soldier of Christ aims to please his employer. Aims to please Christ because we are in his army. And that's what Paul writes to Timothy. 2 Timothy 2. If you are in God's army, you, that's your biggest desire. To please the head of the army. And then in Hebrews 12, we are told that every loose end is to be put out of the way. Loose end, I would see as things that are unclear or shady or in a gray area. Back to the Roman soldier. Have you ever tried to run in a nightgown or whatever is very loose on you? Why don't we see people running in the Olympics with clothes that are, I don't know, basketball type of uh, uniforms. They have everything that's really close to their bodies, right? Because if not, it's in the way, and it's in your way, and you cannot do your job properly as you're running. The same picture over here. The, the Roman soldier had to put everything out of the way as he's getting ready for battle. And that's what he, Hebrew talks over here about. Every loose end in what we know about God from his word has to be put out of the way. But Paul goes on and he says, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, if you look at an armor or think about an armor, which part of the body does the breastplate cover? It covers most of the internal organs, right? Right? this part of the body. It's, it's a vital piece of the armor. But Paul doesn't only use that image, but he says breastplate of righteousness. Why breastplate of righteousness? Why are we told to be holy? Why is the Bible teaching us to be holy? Because God is holy, right? It says, be holy because I am holy. So, breastplate of righteousness, righteousness or holiness, is there because it's a characteristic of God. And then Paul said, put on or take up the whole armor to stand. The breastplate of righteousness included. 
and we can do it because of Jesus's, Jesus Christ's righteousness. Isaiah 59 says, he's, he's talking about Jesus wearing righteousness as a breastplate. So Paul is not making these things up. He knows the gospel, he knows the Bible, and then he teaches us to do the same. Isaiah, remember, says, Jesus is wearing righteousness as a breastplate. So we ought to do the same. Verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I don't know about you, but COVID and now Afghanistan, or whatever comes after Afghanistan, it doesn't take, my, take me by surprise. And I surprised, and I, I always try to encourage other believers, and not only believers, not to worry about this, because COVID has not taken God by surprise. He was not like, oh, where, where did this virus come from? I had no idea that this might happen or could happen. No, he already knows these things. And we as believers ought to not worry about our master returning coming back for us because that's what he promised he would do we are ready for his coming or we should be ready for his coming so the believer we we have the belt of truth on at all times because we are ready we are at peace with God our master through Christ and through what he did. Romans 5 says that we are reconciled with God for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we are at peace no matter what's going on around us because we know and we are certain that God is on our side. And we are at peace with God knowing that he is the one that gives us strength to stand in the middle of the adversity and the spiritual warfare that, that's taking place around us. Romans 8.31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 16, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. When we read this, we don't have to think about some really deep theological idea. Paul is referring here to the basic trust in God. Believing that the word of God tells us about who God is and believing that he is who he says he is and that he will do what he says that he will do. A strong faith in that truth. But if you will read Psalm 18, 30, and then Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6, you will read in there as well about how the word of the Lord is a shield. A shield that we can be uh, sure about. And then further in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Where does the helmet go? Hopefully on our heads. <laughs> and not on our hands or 
The helmet goes on the head. Now think about what Paul is talking over here. He's, he mentions the helmet of salvation. You put the helmet on your head, and then he ties it to salvation. Now, what happens in, in here? And I had a professor in college who always said, I hope that you are looking at everybody in the classroom. He would say, I hope that you have 3.5 pounds of something in there, uh, in your heads. Paul is tying, covering our heads with the, the truth that we have in Christ about our salvation. What happens in our minds? I mentioned earlier how Paul talks about taking every thought captive. Right? In our minds, there's a constant battle that's taking place with thoughts that are not pleasing to God, doubts, discouragement, attacks every single second. And Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation. And he's not talking about attaining salvation over here. In John 6, Jesus talks about those who are given to him. And he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And then Paul in Romans 5 says that we are reconciled through what Jesus has done. Simple truths that we ought to have in our minds and then Keep that protected by always wearing the belt of salvation. But then Paul goes on and he mentions the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This right here, the Bible. And if you look at all the elements of the armor of God, you might think that the sword that Paul mentions, the sword of God, is the only offensive element, right? We have the belt, we have the breastplate, we have the shield, we have the helmet, we have the shoes that we have on, and they're not really offensive, unless the shoes are uh, from Netherlands, <laughs> the wooden shoes, and you can use them to throw them at your adversary. He's mentioning the sword of the spirit, which is offensive, and we can fight using the word of God. And then he closes with verses 18 through 20, saying, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, also for me, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So it's not just the sword of the Spirit that's an element of this armor that we have to put on and leave on. He's talking about prayer as well. And he says, pray all the time, persevering for all. And if you know, and I'm sure you know Paul's life, was Paul doing what he's preaching and what he's teaching others? He was proclaiming God's gospel God's good news, even when he had chains on his hands, even in prison, even when he was about to die so many times, he was proclaiming that God had already won the fight. 
Now, in closing, I would like to apply all of this again to us today, to the ones who are in this room this morning. We read about this example that Paul gives us of how we ought to put on and leave on the whole armor of God, and we see it as an individual or a personal thing to do, right? Everybody is, is reading this and is like, okay, how, how do I have the belt of truth on me? How do I make sure I have the helmet on me? I want you to notice one thing, though. That thing that we are encouraged to do in this passage is true for you, but it's also true for the person that sits next to you. Right? Because it's true for everybody in the room. Remember that we are a soldier for Christ, but we are part of an army. The army of God. Okay? I'll go further. While I'm hearing about these things and reading about these things, and I make sure I take on the full armor, the whole armor of God on me, how am I aware of how other people in the same army that I'm part of are wearing their armor? Does that make sense? I am, I am constantly making sure that I have my, my whole armor on me. Am I taking care of other soldiers that are fighting in the same fight? There I'm fighting. How am I a part or even helping them in the process of themselves putting the whole armor of God on themselves? Paul teaches us that we always have to have all, the whole armor of God on him. We have to have it on us all the time. And now I'd like you to picture an army, a real army, where you have the army lined up to fight against their enemy, and then two soldiers forgot their helmets. Another soldier has half of his sword. And ten others don't have shoes on their feet. And they're about to head out on the field that has thorns and sharp rocks and everything that you can find out. Poison ivy. (laughs) Right? Is that army ready to fight that war? How does the future look like for that army? And then you have those soldiers having to go zigzag and not end up in somebody's sword that's pointing at them. Or, remember Ahaz, dodging an arrow that was shot randomly. How can a person that's fighting a spiritual warfare avoid even a random, randomly shot arrow if they don't have every single part of the armor of God on them? So when you think about things like that, There's no wonder that we see so many that are wounded and hurt and it seems that they're struggling. It seems that I am struggling. It's so easy to talk about somebody else. But I'll go back to the personal note of this passage. How do I take care of my armor? Are my shoes shiny? 
And I would, I would specifically mention here the sword of God, which is the word of God. Is my sword, my, along with prayer, my only offensive part of my armor? Is it shiny? Shiny to where you can hold it in front of you and it's like a mirror. You can see yourself in it. Or is it a sword that's rusty? It's not sharp at all. Unkept. Is that how we have a relationship with the Word of God? The only source of revelation from Him. The thing that tells us what God expects of us as followers. Do we treasure it and do we have it ready to go? Do we use it in our day-to-day life and in the battle that we are in? Paul is talking about standing because the war has already been won by Jesus. So if you, if you look at it from that perspective, it seems that the Christian life is in, in a way static because it keeps saying stand, stand, stand. Stand firm in that place that, you, that was already won for you. But we have to understand this. As static as it may look like, when we are standing in the position that Christ already won, we are actually advancing God's kingdom. Which is odd, if you think about it. To advance, you have to move, and you have to conquer, and you have to try and win this war. But we are taught by the word of God that this battle has already been won. And the only thing that we have to do is to stand wearing the whole armor of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful that even as we look at passages like this one in Ephesians 6, we realized we realize how uh, we are not worthy of the places that we are in. And I personally realize of how I am not ready to face every single thing that Satan throws at me. And I confess that I am weak. And if I were to trust my own strength, my own knowledge, my own background, my own relationships, I would be falling and failing every single time. But then I also remember that you promised that if we rely on you and the strength that you have, Satan has no power on me and on us as believers. I praise you for that. I praise you for teaching us and showing us what are the things that you expect of us, the things that you want us to live in our lives every single day. I pray that this morning, every single person that's in here would look to you and would go ahead and take up the whole armor that you have placed in front of us. Help us keep the truth that you have laid in your word and help us believe them and trust that you have got this. No matter what comes our way, you are in control and you have already won. Amen.